Please remain standing for the scripture reading and then be seated afterwards. We're reading from Mark chapter 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You can be seated. So you thought I was going to preach a lesson on the birth of Jesus today. Crossing you up a little bit. Uh, the title of today's message, as uh, you can see, is a little play on words. Words that you've probably heard before, maybe have even spoken them. Uh, it, it originated from a television commercial about these lifeline buttons for elderly people. You know, we, we insisted my, my mother wear one of those after my father died. The original advertisement, if you saw it, showed an elderly person on the floor pushing one of those buttons and saying, you know, I've, I've fallen and I can't get up. And the call is answered by an operator who calls for help. And it's certainly, it's certainly not a joke if you end up in a situation like that. What I want to share with you this morning is someone who, ex- who experienced a tragic fall. But this fall wasn't a physical fall. Uh, it was a spiritual fall. And if you're going to fall, it's better to fall physically than spiritually. Fortunately, in this particular case, the person was able to get back on his feet and played a very crucial role in the history of Christianity. Have you ever had one of those epic failure moments in your life? When you thought you were prepared to take on a task and then found out you were not prepared at all? Growing up, I'd always been a good student in school. When I chose to switch majors in college from accounting to architecture, I wasn't really all that worried about switching majors, even though I didn't know much of anything about architecture. You know, my exposure, I think I've shared this with you before, my exposure to architecture up to that point was just looking at some house plans. But I didn't know anything about accounting either. And I still aced the introductory uh, accounting class. And, uh, I, you know, I was always good at math, so I just figured this change to architecture wouldn't be that difficult. My first semester, as I've shared with you in the past, was a shock. I was not prepared for, at all for the artwork and the drawing that was required. 
You know, I thought it was going to be most, mostly math-related. You know, and, and that's how naive I was. And, and, and I, as a result, I almost flunked out my first semester. It came close to being kind of an epic failure for me. I thought I was prepared, and I found out very quickly I was not prepared at all. And I'm sure some of you, particularly those of you who are older, have experienced a defining moment in your life when you thought you were prepared and realized at some point you were not. And the result was was devastating or at the very least extremely disappointing. So where do you go from there? I mean, how do you respond to an epic failure? More specifically, how do you respond to a spiritual failure? Do you just, you know, just go away and hide for a while and lick your wounds? I'm going to share with you another defining moment this morning by reviewing one of the greatest epic spiritual failures in history and what happened next. In Mark 14, verse 53, the scene is the mob having arrested Jesus. And we're now leading him to the house of the high priest for an illegitimate trial. And it indicates in verse 54 of Mark 14 that Peter had followed him, Jesus, at a distance into the courtyard of the high priest's house. All the disciples but two fled the scene when Jesus was arrested. The only two that did not flee were Peter and another disciple whose name is not mentioned. All the chief priests, the elders and scribes were at the high priest's house and Peter was sitting with the guards in the courtyard of the house warming himself by the fire that was kindled for that very purpose. And according to Mark 14 verse 56, the chief priests and elders were listening to a number of witnesses who were testifying falsely about Jesus. Resulting in a lot of conflicting testimony. It indicates in verse 66 that as Peter sat in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest recognized him. Peter didn't realize it, but it was, he was about to experience one of the most significant defining moments of his life. Peter is is the one who a few hours earlier said to Jesus in verse 29, even though they all fall away, I will not. And at that point, Jesus said to Peter, truly, I tell you this, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter didn't believe Jesus. Peter responded in verse 31, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And and I really don't doubt at all that Peter was sincere. Because when the mob attempted to arrest Jesus, if you remember, Peter was the one who pulled out his sword and started swinging and cut off the ear of, of one of the servants of the high priest. I mean, Peter was ready to fight. He was ready to defend Jesus. And at that point, however, Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. And then miraculously healed the servant's ear. And I I think probably at that moment, Peter became confused as to what was happening. Peter apparently didn't realize that the death of Jesus was the plan. Even though Jesus had explained that to, to the apostles on more than one occasion. 
So as Peter was sitting in the courtyard, a servant girl recognized him and said in verse 67, You were with that Nazarene Jesus. And here's Peter's defining moment. The disciple who said he would die with Jesus is now confronted with that potential reality. You know, I, I, I think it's possible to believe in your heart that you are competent to handle or face a particular difficult situation, even though you may not have ever faced it before. But until you are actually confronted with that reality is when you really discover the truth about yourself. When the servant girl associated Peter with Jesus, his response was, I don't know what you mean. And at that point, the rooster crowed the first time. And Peter got up and left the courtyard, and there was another servant girl of the high priest who said to some people, Hey, this guy's one of them. And this time, Peter flatly denied it. According to Luke, about an hour later, someone else said, You have to be one of them. You're a Galilean. And so Peter invoked a curse on himself. Meaning, he placed a, himself under God's curse if he was lying. And then said, in the next breath, I don't know the man. At that point, the rooster crowed the second time. And Peter recalled what Jesus said to him earlier. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So there it was. Peter, who had boldly stated he was willing to die with Jesus, and I'm sure he meant it. But now reality slaps Peter in the face, and he realized he was not prepared. He was not willing to die with Jesus. It was an epic failure on his part. And here we are still talking about his failure today, some 2,000 plus years later. How would you like to be remembered for having experienced one of the greatest failures in the history of the world. Years ago, many of you uh, sports enthusiasts will remember a sports program that came on every Saturday. It was called The Wide World of Sports. And the opening words were, spanning the globe to bring you the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And when the announcer said the words, the agony of defeat, as you can see, the sort of fuzzy picture here. They showed a ski jumper losing his balance as he's skiing down the ski jump and falling off the side of the ski jump and bouncing off the ground. I don't, I don't know how many of you saw that video. but Boy, that just looked like he killed himself when he, when he hit the ground. But he was fine, I guess. I mean, it looked like he was seriously injured. It was an epic failure for a ski jumper. And, and that video was played every Saturday for years when that show came on TV. And you can still find it actually on YouTube today. That's where I found it. Epic failures are, are not something you want to be reminded of on a regular basis, nor do you want to be remembered for it. I'm glad none of mine were videoed. You think about Peter. His epic failure will never be forgotten as long as the world exists. But the, really, the, the best part of this story is that it's not the end of the story. 
Peter, having experienced this failure at one of the most critical times in history, deserves a lot of credit here because he did not let this failure destroy his life. Some people never recover from a major failure, life failure. You know, in 2 Samuel 15 and 16, Ahithophel was King David's top advisor. And when David's son Absalom revolted against his father, Ahithophel abandoned David and sided with Absalom and became Absalom's top advisor. And when David fled from Absalom, David decided to send one of his other advisors by the name of Hushai to Absalom as kind of a a spy to keep David informed of what Absalom's intentions were. And on one occasion, Absalom asked both advisors for advice, Ahithophel and Hushai, and they gave conflicting advice. And Absalom felt Hushai's advice was superior to Ahithophel's. And so Ahithophel went home, put his house in order, and committed suicide. Took his own life. So apparently Ahithophel felt as his top advisor, you know, if if his advice was not going to be accepted, you know, then he wasn't of any use any longer. So he just took his own life. Ahithophel obviously could not bear to live with that failure. Judas Iscariot was another one who could not bear to live with his failure of causing an innocent man to be killed. And Peter's situation really wasn't that much different. You know that Peter was terribly distraught over this for a while. I mean, he wept bitterly at the time it happened, it says. He knew immediately that he had failed miserably. The one he loved, the one he believed was from God. Peter realized he didn't stand up for Jesus when Jesus needed it the most. He was unable to follow through with his promise and it just devastated him. As it would you or me. Have you ever experienced a failure that devastated you? You know, everyone experiences failure, and and some are very devastating. Divorce. Flunking out of school. Traffic accident that took someone's life for which you were at fault. Loss of a really good job at a really bad time. Being arrested for something. I couldn't help but think as I was preparing this about Amber Geiger, a young female police officer in Dallas who had said went to the wrong apartment thinking it was hers, shot an innocent man to death thinking he was a burglar. When you talk about an epic failure. Peter teaches all of us a lesson on how to respond to an epic failure. He did not go off somewhere and hide. He did not take his life. Peter did, kind of like Ahithophel did, Peter was the one, one of the two disciples who after being told the body of Jesus was not in the tomb on a Sunday morning, ran to the tomb to see it for himself. And it says in Luke twenty four twelve, he went home marveling at what had happened. Short time later in John 21, the resurrected Jesus appeared to some of his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with this. Disciples had been out all night fishing, had caught nothing, and Jesus told them to cast their net on the other side of the boat and that they would find some fish. And boy, did they. 
They cast their net on the other side and they caught so many fish they couldn't pull the net in. And that's when they realized it was Jesus. And Peter, rather than waiting in the boat to get to shore, he was so excited to see Jesus, he just dove in the water and swam ashore. Because he couldn't wait to see Jesus. And as they were eating breakfast, Jesus then commissioned Peter to take the gospel to the Jews. If you remember that exchange between Jesus and Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus asked Peter three times if Peter loved him. And, and three times Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then one of those times he said, you know that I love you. And after each of Peter's answers, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Peter faithfully fulfilled that mission. What an incredible comeback. Jesus even told Peter in John 21, 18 and 19, you're going to die serving me and it's going to bring glory to me. And Peter willingly accepted that. He ended up giving his life and bringing great glory to Jesus. Peter even wrote two letters that are included in the New Testament canon. Every person is going to experience failure in life. Sometimes it'll be a spiritual failure. Many of you have probably been through it more than once. Someone once said that falling down doesn't make you a failure, but staying down does. And Peter did not stay down. How many of you have heard the name Babe Ruth? Everybody's heard the name Babe Ruth, right? At least almost everybody. Maybe Mariah hasn't heard of, of Babe Ruth yet, but she will. He was one of the greatest baseball players in the history of professional baseball. His name's in the Hall of Fame. For many years, he held the, the record for the most home runs, which was 714. You know, that record has since been broken. But it took quite a few years for Hank Aaron to break that record. Did you know, however, that he also struck out 1,330 times? So he had almost twice as many strikeouts as he did home runs. Had he allowed his strikeouts to demoralize him and discourage him to end his career, he certainly would not be in the Hall of Fame today, would he? He did not allow that to keep him from playing baseball and becoming a Hall of Famer. Years ago, I, uh, <clears throat> before I had decided to pursue ministry, I was the youth group coordinator at Fishinger and Kenny. Church of Christ. Kim and I kind of did that as a team. We did that for about three to four years, and I was asked to speak at a retreat that the Church of Christ in Wheeling was having. You know, I had taught some classes at Fishinger and Kenny, but really had never preached before. And one of the other speakers by the name of Tim at this retreat had grown up in the Wheeling congregation and was serving as a preacher, I believe, in Arkansas somewhere. He was a graduate of Harding. And I prepared for weeks, but I had never written, let alone presented a message before. You know, I didn't really have any training on how to organize a message. I know it probably seems like that still today, but I did, I have had some. At the same time, one of my greatest fears was what I'm doing right now, standing up in front of a group of people and saying anything at all, let alone something that made sense. I'd never spoken to more than about, you know, 15, 20 people at one time, and there was over 100 people there at this retreat. I was so nervous, 
I got up in front of all those kids and it looked like there were thousands of them. And it was so quiet. And all the eyes were on me. And I was supposed to speak for about 15 to 20 minutes. I think it lasted maybe four. After it was over and nobody said a word to me, everybody just kind of slowly walked out of the place where we were and uh, I was embarrassed to say the least I was so discouraged especially after the next night when Tim spoke Tim's talk was awesome he spoke for at least 20 minutes it was so awesome I actually still remember the first words he said during that message so I was even more embarrassed and depressed after that you know at that point I could have said you know this just isn't for me (laughs) you know I uh and some of you may be thinking the same thing. But, but I've, not, I've now been preaching and teaching for over 25 years. And I'm not saying this to pump up my own tires. I'm, I'm sharing this with you, so, you know, that, that if, I, if I can overcome failure, so can you. I, and I'm sure many of you, have, of you have stories that you could tell about overcoming failure. And so my point is, just don't let failure define your life. You know, let failure be a defining moment that leads to success in your life. Use failure to make yourself better. Everyone fails from time to time. Use failure as a learning tool like Peter did. You know, most of you know who Thomas Edison was. Maxie Dunham relates this story about Edison. Thomas Edison had been working all day and into the night trying to uncover the secret that would help him invent the light bulb to no avail. He'd been working for months and months on that project with uh, uh, no apparent success. And so late one evening, Edison came out of his lab and he he looked exhausted. And a friend who met him there asked, how many experiments have you done already? More than 1,900, Edison replied. More than 1,900, his colleague blurted out. That's incredible. You must be pretty disappointed by now. Very much a failure, feeling like a failure. Edison straightened to his full stature and his eyes glistened. He said, not at all, he said. I don't feel like a failure. I've made so much progress. You see, I now know more than 1,900 things that won't work. One of these days, I'm going to hit on the one that does. So if it weren't for Edison's response to failure, we might be still in the dark today. So even though you fail, you can get up. Many of you who are younger are going to experience failures in life. Some of them will be spiritual failures. You might experience 1,900 of them. Spiritual failures to me are are, are worse because it means I, I failed my Lord. But you're not alone. Everyone experiences spiritual failures. You're human and humans fall short. The key is to respond like Peter did and not let it destroy you. Let it be your teacher. Let failure be your teacher. Learn from it so that you can become a better servant and as a result of your failure. Don't let failure be the last chapter of your life. Get up, press on, turn the page, start writing the next chapter. 
there, there, there is one failure that will become the last chapter of your life, if you allow it to. If you fail to put your faith in Jesus and be baptized, before Jesus comes back, that will be a failure from which you will never recover. You will have to live with that failure for eternity. The last chapter of your life has not yet been completed, and I highly recommend you include a paragraph about obeying the gospel in that last chapter, if you have not done so. If you've made a commitment to Christ similar to Peter's, that he would never fall away, but you've fallen away, don't let that be the last chapter. Do what Peter did. Repent and recommit yourself. And we would love to help you do that this morning. We would love to help you this morning begin writing the next chapter. If we can, let us know now as we stand and as we sing.